you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome everyone back to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm so glad you joined us for this episode. Uh, Today I'm chatting with a fellow IBCLC and a IBCLC who has birth experience. So I'm doubly thrilled to speak to Danielle Gauss. Danielle is an IBCLC certified childbirth educator and the author of The Booby Fairy's Guide to Breastfeeding. Doesn't that sound fun? I love The Booby Fairy. (laughs) She is the co-founder of Tongue Tie Tribe, an advanced practice private lactation and body work team. Over the course of her 19-year career, she has assisted in numerous births and helped educate thousands of women about the birth process and breastfeeding needs of their infants. She has had the unique opportunity to work as an IBCLC in both a hospital setting and pediatric office before settling into her new home base in Costa Mesa. She has extensive training in oral tethering. And also on the personal side, Danielle has been married for 22 years and is the mother of two beautiful adult girls. Welcome, Danielle. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. So Danielle, I don't know if you've ever read my bio, but it's so similar to yours. Just I'm a midwife, you're a childbirth educator, and it sounds like maybe like you've done some doula work as well, kind of. I did. I I was a doula for a really long time. Uh huh. And we both have the experience of having worked in our own private practice, but before that hospital and office. So we have so much in common and we both have adult children. Well, although sometimes I question whether they're adults or not, but exactly. <laughs> I have a few more than you, but we, <laughs> but we both have And they're adult still children, living at home right? and I'm like, fly, my birds, fly. <laughs> I just have one up on you. I have a grandson. So, but, but yeah, and I still have one daughter at home, but that's hopefully, so fun. Hopefully that's just until she gets her wings. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. So Danielle, I would like for you to tell me in your own words, why I would have you on the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Tell me your expertise or tell me your journey with how you got to this work. If you feel comfortable Absolutely. with that. You know, it's funny. I was a theater major in college. I had a full ride. Um, my parents were professional traveling performers. I always tease that I was like in a family of gypsies. My dad was a professional mime and my mom was the first female um, to cross the gender line in Vegas. I grew up in Las Vegas. And so theater was in my blood. And when I I got, you know, I was lucky enough to find my husband young and we got married at 21 and I was 
pregnant right away, which was a blessing in itself. I was told I'd never have children. Um, so that was a huge blessing. And I was always kind of a science nerd. I've always been fascinated with the body. I was fascinated with, you know, just how, you know, breastfeeding women, the whole, the whole shebang. And we were sitting in our Lamaze class and I was watching this. I knew I didn't want to go back to work full time when my daughter was born. And I was looked at my Lamaze instructor. I'm like, turn to my husband. I'm like, oh, my stars. I can totally do this. This is monologues about vaginas and uteruses and breasts. I can talk about this all day. I'm down. So my first step is I went in and became a childbirth educator and they turn you into doulas during that whole process. This is 22 years ago. And my husband. It sounds so fun. You know what? I just want to interrupt you and say it's like you took, it's almost like being some sort of performer, right? To be, I don't know, on that stage, on the birth stage, kind of, right? Because you have, you have to let, yeah, yeah. It's, I I totally get how you can make that leap, you know? You have to make it fun because otherwise you've Mm -hmm. got, you know, dads that are in there and they're, they're falling asleep. And so you got to make it entertaining, but that is, and then of course I became a mother and I was a young mom, you know, I was 22 when I had Alyssa and I remember, you know, breastfeeding her and looking at her and going, I don't get what the big deal is. She's got a mouth. I've got a boob. Like it works. No big deal. And then 20 months later, I gave birth to Elena. And I remember staring at her at six days going, oh, my stars, my nipples are going to fall off. I don't want to do this. But I was already employed mm-hmm. at four different hospitals teaching childbirth education. I'd already been uh, attending births as a doula with midwives and my whole world was already opened up and <clears throat> everything that could go wrong with breastfeeding went wrong completely. Um, I had with my first daughter, I had gobs of milk. My second one, no milk. I was in pain. I was engorged. I went to mastitis. I had thrush. She had reflux. She was colicky, colicky. Um, and I remember going, something is wrong. Like this isn't normal. This isn't what I did before. This is completely bonkers. Talking to my pediatrician going, and again, I'm in the hospital working on the postpartum unit at this point, just to do it. We had an in-house doula program at the hospital I was working for, which was super amazing. And I think pretty much everyone I worked for at that point had seen my nipples because I was just basically like, this, this can't be, this can't be normal. And it was, I remembered the distinct moment looking at my boss and looking at my baby and going, this is what I need to do. No mother should have to go through this. I had severe postpartum depression. I was a total closet bottle feeder because there was so much pressure on me to breastfeed because I was in the unit. And I had basics about breastfeeding education at that time because of childbirth education, because of being a doula, had no idea how extensive it was. And I re- I was still in school at this whole time because I was a crazy person, felt like I could do it all and had this conversation. I looked at my, I actually told my parents, I'm like, listen, forget this whole like theater business. I'm going into medicine. And they were legit mad. Like my parents were so pissed that I was like leaving the family business to go into medicine. And I was like, uh, stability. 
which is totally mm-hmm. weird that most parents would be like, oh, yes. Uh, but right. I, I made that leap and it was the best advice that was ever given to me was actually by my OBGYN. I was a high risk pregnancy cause I have lupus. And mm-hmm. so I, I was the, the depression I had from not being able to exclusively breastfeed feed her was destroying me. And it was an absolute, I look back now, you know, knowing what I know and realizing that my birth played a huge role in all of that to begin with, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, I, she says, you have to be the healthy mom for the kids you have. And right now this is creating a barrier. And she was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my whole philosophy with lactation has always been number one, we feed a baby, whichever way works, breast, bottle, pumping, formula, whatever you need to do. We, number one, we feed a baby. Number two, we do what makes you the best mom for that baby. And then we find a solution that works for the dyad. And Mm -hmm. so that sent me into my journey of becoming an IBCLC, not realizing how much science was behind that. So I had to learn a whole lot because I was coming from a theater background to now I'm jumping into science, which I absolutely fell in love with. And, um, and so at that point, you know, I had two kids under two, I was still doing births. I was still teaching at different hospitals and then going through the IBCLC program. I was insane. Yeah. So, um, basically so many of us come to this journey through our children, right? And because of lack of support, when we look around and no one, no one that we expect to be able to help us, our OBGYN, even our midwife, even our doulas, even our fellow, you know, people who have breastfed before us or around us, we look to them and they can't always help us because, you right. know, bottom line is, and, and you said it a couple of times during your talk just now, you didn't realize what an IBCLC knows or has to know in order to do the job. Are you a professional that feels like you didn't learn enough about tongue tie in school? Whether you're a lactation consultant, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a doula, a doctor, a speech language pathologist, a chiropractor, PT, OT, dentist, etc. I don't mean to leave anyone out. Anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families in any capacity who is curious about tongue tie is welcome in the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant. What you'll learn, we have four modules, assessment, treatment plan, phrenotomy, and aftercare. So much great information and it comes with a community. I didn't learn this in school, did you? Tongue tie treatment can be complex and those who expect relief of symptoms with a quick snip or even a laser release, even by an experienced provider, are usually disappointed. Join me to learn protocols that offer an organized and simplified plan to support families through decision-making, preparation, treatment plans, procedure if needed, and aftercare. Learn the teamwork model of care. Knowing why and which providers are necessary will make things easier for you and provide effective outcomes for your patients. Please sign up today. The link is in the show notes. 
but you can go to my website, tongtieexperts.net, go to the professional tab. And one last thing, since you listen to my podcast, you'll get 15% off just by using the coupon code PODCAST15. And the word podcast is all in caps. Can't wait to see you in the group. Take care. So once again, you know, as I often do, um, toot the horn of the IBCLC, because unfortunately, if we don't toot our own horns, no one, no one else is going to do that for us. Preach. That's so true. Right. And we don't realize until we start looking into what it takes to be an IBCLC. We don't, first Mm -hmm. of all, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And we don't realize the intense education and experience that's necessary. And, you know, I was a midwife. I I went through RN, you know, training to be an RN, then training to be a midwife. And I thought I knew about breastfeeding. I worked on the postpartum floor. I knew diddly squat to keep the family friendly about breastfeeding. Absolutely. But I didn't know that. Families. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know I didn't know. Right? right. And then I became a CLC and then I thought I knew everything. And then I was like, well, <laughs> I still don't know anything. That's so, right. So, yeah. So not, not to down, you know what? Like I don't ever want anybody to feel bad who's in any of the roles I just mentioned. It's, it's not, it's not to make you feel bad, but you know, I mean, like if you need your, a tooth pulled, you're going to go to a dentist. You're not going to go to the, you know, the person that cleans your teeth you're going to go to the dentist right it's true yeah you know to know the difference and to know and then the other the other thing is that we need all of you and you know i like to educate everyone on the birth team because most people won't see an ibclc so i'm not prejudiced and you know only on ibclc's and i and i've actually gotten some slack for opening up my courses and programs to non-ibclc's but Bottom line is most people don't even know what IBCLCs are and will never, ever see one. And they don't know the difference right. either. Or And and I right, will tell you, right. you know, working in the hospital setting, which I'm sure you did at one time as an IBCLC, mm-hmm. we're also very limited um, because of the mm-hmm. political hierarchy, which is a big reason why I ended mm-hmm. up leaving the hospital setting. With Elena, my daughter, that kind of sent me down the whole t- tongue-tie you know, world, because my biggest advice to families is to kind of re- back, go back a little bit. When you're in medicine, period, I always say we call it practicing medicine for a reason that we're still practicing, we're still learning. And if you are done learning, you need to get out of the field because it's constantly changing. I mean, the way I practiced 20 years ago to the way I practice now to the way I'll probably practice 20 years from now is going to be completely different because. You have to think outside of the box whenever it comes to healthcare in general, but specifically a mother baby, because you have to take their story, which is a lot of the reason why we developed Tongue Tai Tribe to begin with. We always say it takes a village to raise a child. And we were all moms of Tied kids who felt completely blindsided by the lack of education, by the medical gaslighting, if you will, of it being our fault that my child wasn't gaining, that that the problems that she had lifelong, you know, I always approach 
you know, breastfeeding a little bit differently. I, I liked to think outside the box. I've always said breastfeeding brings to light things that you didn't even know you had as a mom. Uh, Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to standing ovation. I mean, totally like to me, I often say that breastfeeding is sometimes the gateway to mom's health. Absolutely. You don't the know what's going on. Come. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the, and it's, it's incredible to me how often, um, and that was my, and not to knock, uh, hospital IBCLCs, but you are limited. Like I remember having to see 18 babies in six hours. You get in, you latch, you check the box, you get out. There's no time for education. If I saw, I was constantly getting in trouble because I'd call, I'd cover my hospital badge and I'd be like, so Danielle, the random mom you met on the street is going to tell you what's wrong with your baby. This mm. baby has a tongue tie. I'm not allowed to tell you that, but go pursue when you get discharged. And mm. because I just felt it so unethical because of my journey, like my daughter, um, w- besides the fact that she was on Zantac, then Prevacid, then Prilosec, was throw, you know, spitting up 30 times a day, never gained weight. <clears throat> Fast forward, switched to formula, had, you know, total intolerance to that, never ate solids till past a year because it hurts to chew, right? I knew something was different. She had a heart-shaped tongue, but no one was talking about it. She was put under anesthesia four times before the age of six because she was having ocular migraines, you know, tubes in the ears, enlarged adenoids, tonsils. She was always in the fifth percentile. And I kept pushing and, and parents, I always advocate, you know your child better than anyone ever will. So be their advocate and keep pushing. If you're not getting the answers, seek another opinion because your gut's never going to steer you wrong. And sure enough, fast forward, I kept, I worked for her pediatrician. I'm like, this isn't normal. I've seen a lot of babies in my career, a lot of kids, excuse me, that's not normal. And so I know 10 years of brace, or sorry, six rounds of braces. No, backwards. Three rounds of braces, six years. Her orthodontist was finally the one that's like, hey, I think you need to go get this looked at. She had the dark circles on her. I mean, every symptom that is linked to oral tethering, she had. And finally at 14, she stopped growing. She fell off the growth chart. And her pediatrician was like, I think we need to do growth hormones. And I was like, okay, done. Like enough. You've done enough to my kid. I'm not doing this. Her orthodontist at the time was like, and thankfully right around that time is when the CO2 laser started to make its appearance. Because mm-hmm. back in the, as a baby, I mean, she had posterior submucosal, she had an, a, you know, a bilateral buckle ties. She had, you know, a thick, thick lip tie. And back then they would have done scissors, which would have backfired, which is a big mm-hmm. issue too. Like in any realm of, it's like the game of telephone, right? You know, mm-hmm. you only know what you know, and then you're getting misconstrued information because we're all being taught different things. There's not this, and ties aren't cookie cutter. Like it's not like one case is the same as the next baby is the same as the next baby. So in my child's case, I did my homework, finally found someone to do the release. What's interesting, I went strictly for orthodontic reasons, not anticipating anything else. The kid who had not mm-hmm. grown in two years grew an inch and a half in three weeks. And my mind wow. was blown. And I was like, what wow. just happened? Like, how did this mm-hmm. three second procedure change her that much? And she thrived. And she was at an age where she could tell you how she felt differently, too. That must have been so interesting. It was very interesting because, and the reason why 
was because she could finally breathe and get into that deep REM sleep. She was absorbing her nutrients mm-hmm. for the first time. And that's why she was thriving and growing. It's when we opened our clinic, um, several months ago here in Costa Mesa, cause we're just a bunch of different providers that just decided to come together and create the tongue tie tribe. We wanted to do an experiment on my daughter's boyfriend. He's a lovely man. He's 21. Um, he had severe ADHD, which we know is kind of, there's a connection there. They're starting to see connections there and had just so much TMJ pain. He had a headache every day of his life. So we're like, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to, so we had our chiropractor palpate him. We did, you know, we videoed the whole thing. We had our dentist, you know, do the procedure. He had almost, it's like seven different ties in his mouth. He just, it was a hot mess in there. And sorry, Ethan, I'm sharing this story. He comes off, you know, three, five seconds later, he's done, right? He comes off the table. He looks high, like stoned. And I'm like, dude, did you take something? Like, I'm not mad. Just tell me. And he's like, no, I don't know what's happening, but I feel high. And what had happened, bless his heart, his whole face, of course, shifted. He was, he was on an oxygen high. He was finally getting full oxygenation to his brain. And what was crazy is we had our chiropractor doing cranial sacral therapy on him while we were doing the release. And she was just fascinated because she's like, I felt everything melt in those three mm-hmm. seconds. And he's a, his ADHD is better. His headaches are gone. Like, so it just opens up this whole world of like, if we can catch this when they're babies and allow the research to be born and have these conversations where we can educate these people at birth, you know, these parents are, we spend so much time prepping these families for the birth process and not prepping them for breastfeeding and everything that can come from that. And we're saving these families of years of these traumas. Now, granted, my kids are extreme. Will that be the case for every baby? Probably not. But if we can have that conversation when they're earlier and catch it younger, the amount of pain and trauma we can save these families is exponential. So I, you, you just said so much that I want to unpack. I mean, this is a fascinating conversation. There may be people listening to say, saying to themselves, wait a minute, aren't we talking about babies who breastfeed? What does that have to do with ADHD and the sleep and all the things that we just spoke about? Um, and I'm, first of all, there are, I do have other episodes that deal more with airway and adults. And, and if you want to go back and listen, if anybody's listening and, and you're like, what? Um, especially the airway revolution found um, episode that I did, the airway revolution um, project that I'm involved in. There's a whole episode with Dr. Um, Victor Avis and his daughter, Sydney, and you'll all be hearing much more about that. But if you want to go listen to that episode to have a little bit of background about why Danielle is talking about all these adult improvements with tongue tie release. But one of the things that I do want to say is, you know, this isn't just to prevent future, right? When we're dealing with the baby, it's not just about to uh, preventing future problems. There's always symptoms present if there's going to be a problem later. Right. It's, yes. it's just 
So, so I feel like I hear people say, oh, I was tongue tied and I get on Instagram. I get some really funny, really funny responses. You know, I was tongue tied and I'm just fine. Girl, or I'll the have, amount of oh, times I hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll have people in my office who, you know, say, oh yeah, my oldest son had that, but he's good. He's, he's perfect. And then I start talking about the health history and start talking about the possible repercussions and, oh, oh yeah, he is in speech therapy and, oh yeah, he, he does have problems with his motion or he's got this and he doesn't sleep well and, oh, but he's fine or he's overweight or, you know, snores or all these these possible things. And then when you unpack back, you say, well, how did breastfeeding go? Oh, I couldn't breastfeed. You know, (laughs) I tried, it hurt too much. Or he couldn't get milk from my breast or all the things that we see. Or he wasn't gaining or he had reflux. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. So so there are always, I don't feel like we should just go around thinking um, we should be lasering every baby just in case they're going to have symptoms. We, We have, you know, we have to look no. at what's going on and just be aware of each different stage and what could happen. Exactly. Are you a solopreneur or small business owner? If so, I want to ask you a question. Do you know exactly how much money you made in your business last month? Or can you find this number right now with just a couple of clicks on your computer? I'm Sarah Finns, finance coach and accountant and creator of Easy Business Bookkeeping, a course and system for tracking your business finances with ease. I want to bust the myth that managing the money in your business needs to be time consuming and stressful, or that you need to be a finance professional in order to understand them. With Easy Business Bookkeeping, you will get the tools and support you need to finally gain clarity with your finances so you can grow your business and your impact. Want to learn more? Go to www.sarahfins.com forward slash TTE podcast for details. That's sarahfins.com forward slash TTE, like tongue tie experts podcast. And I'll see you on the inside. But you've been through it, Danielle, with your daughter, and she's well now. Everything's good. Thank you for sharing she that is. story. Of course. Yeah, no, she's good. I mean, she also has lupus, so I think there was a lot that played in that we didn't know at the time. But mm-hmm. um, when I approach, I agree with you. It's funny, you know, like I've, because I'm such a research fanatic, <laughs> um, mm. because I just feel like ethically it's responsible to keep up with what's coming out. And Every patient I see teaches me something, you know, to go back of how, you know, it's not cookie cutter, how so many things come to light when you're kind of unpacking the history of these families. And sometimes that takes a couple sessions to get through. But I feel like our job as an IBCLC, is, and, and that's the reason why it's an advanced practice, you know, their breastfeeding therapist is because you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at the birth story. And I agree with you. I don't, I share my story about my child. Um, and yes, they're both thriving. They're both in college now. Um, but my, but Elena finally got fixed at 16. My, I was 40 when I got mine released and my other was 19. And so I share with families that these are what could happen. We don't know that's going to happen. And uh, and I agree with you. I don't feel like we should just go around lasering every baby just because what if? That's not fair to put the, the anyone through something like that. Um, 
What I do think is that if there is significant symptoms in this baby where you can see they're they're in pain or you can see that they're struggling or that the mother is struggling, you know, I think ethically it's important to explain to them what we know these can cause and you can make an informed educational, you know, decision, but really breaking it down to Breastfeeding is like, in my opinion, the bottom of the barrel of reasons why we truly treat ties. It's this beautiful. And and I always say when you birth your baby as a mother, you birth your heart. You all of a sudden will sacrifice everything that is you for that child because you weren't prepared for how much you're going to fall in love with someone you just met. And the overwhelming hormonal response that has. And every sweet family I that walks into my door, I'm looking at them and I'm sure you can relate. You know, the first thing you, you know, you're checking the suck, of course, but I want to know what that birth was like because that immediately is going to impact breastfeeding. And I want to know, you, you can see a lot. I mean, I can tell an entire birth story truthfully from the baby suck. That's just because I've been feeling sucks for so long. But also unpacking the mother's emotional history, medical history. Is there any trauma in her past that's going to unpack? I'm a huge advocate for that and meeting them where they're at. And Mm -hmm. so to kind of go in, it's like you have to take each case individually to kind of address it in that case. Absolutely. And we have such similar philosophies And ways of looking at the family. You know, I often say I merge my lactation uh, practice with my functional medicine training on the other side of my practice with root cause and looking at, well, why is this the way it is? But mostly as a woman-centered healthcare provider, I know that when someone walks into my office and they sit down and they're ready to like do all the things like tell me about the latch and do this and teach me that. And I'm like, wait, first tell me your story. What brings you here? Right. Right. What's been going on for you? Because nobody else is asking that mom. Nobody Nobody. is asking. And I know that because I worked inside the system for 28 years. Nobody is saying, so how do you feel about your birth? Yeah. Beyond, oh, well, the baby's okay. So everything's fine. You know, or are how do you we feel asking about the baby? Like, are you asking the baby how they right, feel about right, that birth? Right. Because, right. and a lot, I say that, and a lot of people look at me like, uh, they're just like, right. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you hold that baby and you allow them to open up and how do they feel about that? They will tell you yes. in their own way. Yes. hundred percent yes. agree. So yeah. So mom's been in labor for 48 hours and pushed for four. I say, well, don't you think baby's tired? You know, don't you think that, you know, that you could tell the stress in the baby. You can tell the babies that were tightly wrapped inside and had a hard time uh, expressing themselves in good positions to come out. That That is still with that baby, you know. So we or have to deal have with all Pitocin. of that. Or did they have Pitocin? Right. Pitocin yeah. or. Vacuum. Or- vacuum. It used to be forceps. I mean whatever, or even a C-section birth. And not to say that these things are not sometimes and often necessary, but we have, we have to say, well, 
they may have been necessary, but they also have effects, including epidural. So when I say to a mom, the epidural affects the baby, they look at me like dough in the headlights say, no, 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 no. The doctor said it didn't. And I'm like, trust me, if you look at the research, it does, number one. And number two, I've seen enough babies born with epidurals to know that it affects the baby. Um, that that little bradycardia that you had, did you know that was from the epidural? That wasn't something that went wrong with you. Wasn't the baby's problem. It was from the epidural. And they nobody right. explains <laughs> this. Right. So not to say that we shouldn't use an epidural, right, if we need to use an epidural, but we should understand then those babies are going to need more help. That mom is going to need more help. We have to have patience. I, you know, more and more I use the words patience and grace in my in my office and speaking to parents. Like, give Absolutely. her some patience. Give yourself some grace about this. Yeah. And grieve you know? the process that might have been different than what you were hoping to have. Yes. <clears throat> Yes. You know, it's a toolbox, right? You know, you you have certain tools um, that are needed. Like in, and I speak on behalf of my first, I was, I knew nothing with my first delivery. My second one, I was already a doula. I was hell bent on unmedicated, natural, nothing's going to, you know, completely different scenario. Yes, I'm a high-risk pregnancy. So I had no other choice but to deliver in a hospital setting, but 16 hours into my labor and I wasn't progressing. I am a firm, and I know this now that I didn't know then. In my case, an epidural was a tool because I had hit a wall mentally and I went from three centimeters to a baby in my arms in 25 minutes after the epidural. But I beat myself up for it. And that's where I look back. But at the time, I have a significant history. And I do bring up um, like assault in women. Like that's a huge passion of mine um, is um, when survivors give birth because your body keeps score. I have a personal history of that. I was not aware of how that affects not only how you birth, how you breastfeed. And that's one thing that I am beyond passionate about when you walk in with a mother. Number one, you need to ask permission to touch them, period. Absolutely. I always ask, can I touch your breasts? Mm -hmm. It drives me bonkers when I see any healthcare provider because they're not, they're thinking clinically. They're not necessarily thinking about all aspects of here's a grab, grab, let's put the baby on. No, you don't know that mom's story. Same thing. Like even as an IBCLC, you know, let's talk briefly about like nipple shields, right? That may be the one reason that mom is able to breastfeed. If she has a history Mm -hmm. of assault or, and your body is not necessarily in control of that situation. In my case, my body would not release because I had not dealt yet with my past. And so until I learned to heal and surrender from that, it absolutely affected how I breastfed. It affected how I birthed. It affected the trauma that I was holding within my body. And um, for me, and I see this so many times with women in my practice, because there's, you can tell a lot without saying things that, you know, if I see a mom who's like, so attached to like, I need a nipple shield. Okay. Let's work with it. It might be that that piece of plastic is allowing her to breastfeed her baby and feel safe. So 
when you go into that hole, you have to kind of, you're, you're a detective within all of this to begin with, but taking that history. And as you know, when you're talking about absolutely epidurals affect babies, Pitocin affects babies with all the extra force that can come with it. And you know that just from feeling how a baby sucks, they'll suck defensively. It's almost like they're in fight or flight if they've had a traumatic birth or if mom has this, if she, it, it, it may look like a standard normal birth to any birth worker, but to that mother, it wasn't. To that mother, she might be grieving a different birth that she had in her mind or grieving uh, overwhelmed by how she feels it's traumatic. You have to honor that. You have to honor her story. You have to honor her perception of what just happened and then give her the tools to guide through that so that the mom guilt won't overtake what's happening with this breastfeeding experience of it's my fault this baby isn't latching. It's my mm. fault that my body's not working. I hear so many times practitioners tell the mom, well, your nipples are just too big for the baby. Right. Or too small or, or too, too this small. or too flat or too the other thing and. Yeah. No, let's fix it. Let's, let's, yeah, let's (coughs) lean back, you know, let's change. Let's look at Mm -hmm. the big picture. Let's talk through it. There's always options and there's always a reason, always a reason for low supply, always a reason. We just have to unbox it Mm -hmm. together. And it's great that you bring it up about, you know, not blaming the mother. I've had, you know, I love this, the relief on a woman's face when I say to her, you're doing everything right. There's nothing wrong with you. This is yes. not because there's something wrong with your body or something wrong with you. This has to do with, and then whatever's going on, I explained to her and she's like, really? I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought blah, blah, blah. You know, all these things, because there's so many rules now <laughs> that moms yep. are supposed to follow. You got to do this and don't do that and do this for that long and time everything and so much stuff so much the timing the timing drives me bonkers (laughs) throw that clock out throw the apps out just listen exactly the baby exactly follow the baby listen to the baby watch the baby not the clock um and you know and the whole trying to get ready for the next stage before we're dealing with this stage. You know, I have moms who babies are four days old and they're worried about going back to work, even if they don't have to go back to work for six months. You know, I have some moms that are, you know, like, because the pressure is real and there's so much, whether it be on social media, I mean, you and I are both pretty present on social and are saying the right things, but there are some not so smart people saying some silly things that people watch and listen to and put a lot of more pressure on moms about how to be that ideal parent or what it's supposed to look like. And every right. situation, as you said, is unique and every there's no right or wrong. And then the other thing that I want to go back to in one of your uh, responses to me is that instinct, the, li- the mother yep. listening to themselves and those who listen to me a lot will hear me say this all the time, that we've taken the instinct out of motherhood. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust that gut feeling enough. It's being like socialized out of us. There's yes. some authority f- figure that knows better than we do, and that's who we should listen to. And I tell parents and anyone even listening to me, if I say anything, 
that doesn't feel right to you, it's not right to, for you, then it's not. Don't listen to me. You know, right. follow your instinct, right? And Let I, me be I your have... Google is what I'm always saying. <laughs> Let me be yeah, the Google yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or be your own Google. Be your own Google. Yeah. Like search inside and say, all right, you know, um, Lisa said this and Danielle said that and Dr. So-and-so said the other thing, but this is really what feels right to me. You know, and, right. you know, even if, even as far as the tongue tie procedure, you know, oh and I love the team approach and I love that you have the, the team approach going on in, in your practice. That's amazing. Thank but you. if a mom isn't comfortable with the body work aspect of things, well, that's her prerogative, you know, but I yeah. tell her why I recommend what I recommend. And not every baby goes through the same therapies in the same order because every baby is unique. Sometimes it's a, you know, a quick fix. Sometimes it's a, yeah. yeah, we should do this right away and then worry about other therapies. And sometimes most of the time it's let's do other things first, right? Absolutely. Which is important too, because there's so many different trains of thought there of, mm -hmm. and know, it's evolving. Heard, it it's is definitely evolving. evolving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is evolving. And I will be the first to admit that when I first started learning about ties, the way I think about them now is completely different than I thought about them probably four or five years ago. Yeah. And one beautiful thing I, I appreciate so much about like our practice specifically, because we have so many different modalities together, we approach each case as a team, but we have learned so much from each other. Like learning from our speech language pathologist, from our cranial sacral, I mean, now I do cranial sacral therapy, but you know, our, I mean, we're approaching it from so many different avenues that mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinating to be like, I would have never thought of that. Like, of course this baby needs to have, you know, suck training first, or this baby is functioning. Like we can actually get these kids functional. Like when mm -hmm. I first learned about it, it was like, oh, all ties must be cut. Right. And then I wasn't seeing the after effects of the kids who weren't doing well. Mm -hmm. And now working with all these different modalities of their, they were the ones who were dealing with the babies who didn't do well afterwards because they didn't get therapy beforehand. Right. And so that's what's, I think one of the most evolving, beautiful aspects of all of this is a mom, listen to your gut. Um, but knowing there isn't a, there's not, I'll say it again, like this cookie cutter way of dealing with it. Every baby is different. And I mean, a big part of like when we do releases, the reason why we incorporate cranial sacral therapy while the procedure is happening is to guide our dentist, who is also an IBCLC, so, which is super cool. Um, mm -hmm. So she knows when to stop, you know, and mm -hmm. that we don't have to go and do everything. And, and we're able to, you know, our SLP will say, I'm here for the babies who need a phrenectomy and for the mothers who aren't ready for it, you know, or the, mm -hmm. or the babies who, who maybe need it, but don't, but, but aren't ready mm -hmm. and getting them to where they are functional and don't need it, you mm -hmm. know, and our goal is obviously we want babies to get better and it's not going to always be a phrenectomy. It may mm -hmm. be other therapies first. Exactly. And it may be other therapies for now until the baby is old enough or old enough, yeah. Or or other issues come up. Cause if we can get them fully functioning as an infant and breastfeeding efficiently and comfortably for the mom 
and on a decent routine that, you know, they're not eating all day long and they're sleeping and all kinds of things, then it's working and we don't need to worry about doing a procedure. So yeah, I love the individualized approach. It's what I'm evolving to in my own practice because, you know, every, as we said earlier, every family is different. Every situation is different. And, and we're still learning. And thank you for being one of the ones who is still learning. And I, you know, (laughs) back to what you said before about if you're in medicine and you're not still learning, then it's time to quit, you know, because it's the ones that aren't still learning that make roadblocks for the families that we serve and for our own practices. Right. And we could have a whole, we could have a whole nother conversation. (laughs) That's a time. That's another episode, right? That's a whole other episode. So Danielle, I was just, you know, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for spending the time. I know it's early where you are uh, much (laughs) earlier than where I am. And um, it's still dark. (laughs) It's still dark. (laughs) Um, I just wanted, you know, just, of course, it's going to be in the show notes, but tell our listeners where they can find you, how they can follow you. And if anyone is in your local area, how they can find your practice. Absolutely. So on Instagram, my personal account is at Danielle Goss, IBCLC. Um, You can also follow our practices account, which is uh, at the Tongue Tie Tribe or Tongue Tie Tribe, um, Mm -hmm. on TikTok, which cracks me up to no end. Um, I'm the booby fairy. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, I have uh, my website is daniellegoss.com. But if you're in our area wanting to get more information, the tongue-tie-tribe.com is our practice website. And on there, of course, we have access to my book, the audio version of the book, um, The Booby Fairy's Guide to Breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And what is your area? You're in California, correct? I'm in California. I'm in Costa Mesa, California. So we service a lot of Orange County, um, San Diego County, LA County. We've had moms fly in. Um, So yeah, we're in the Southern California area. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much again for sharing your time and your experience and your knowledge. You are so welcome. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.